Would you join me in prayer before we get into the Word of God? Father, I just thank you again. Father, you're so good and so faithful, and we've already had a full meal. But Lord, I pray that you would use this time as we gather in your Word as a yes and amen. Father, would you give me everything I need to serve our friends and this church well? And Father, my prayer is that through the presence of the Holy Spirit that I welcome in the name of Jesus, that Lord, you would apply something potent from today to each person's heart so that they would know you truly and better for their good. And Lord, would we all just experience the joy of God together in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Okay, I want to talk about someone today. And don't worry, um, they're not alive anymore, so it isn't you. And it wouldn't be good to talk about you in front of everybody anyways. Um, Which reminds me of something. Somebody wise once said that it is totally wrong to use the pulpit to address one person. But on the other hand, if a bunch of people in a church are experiencing the same thing, it, wouldn't, it would be wise to address the entire church together, knowing that you are hitting a few birds with one stone. And so if this message um, seems to be directly applicable to you, and the only thing missing is your name repeated a few times, I just want to say, congratulations, you're not alone. And there are other people in the room that probably need to hear this as well, yours included. Okay, I want to talk about a woman named Naomi. And if you're familiar with the scriptures, and specifically the book of Ruth, then you already kind of know what this story is. But generally, I just, I just want to share the story of Naomi. She had a really hard life. Uh, she lived a long, long time ago in the Middle East. And she was married with two sons who were at least teenagers, I think, at the time. And a famine hit the land. And we're not really used to famines in Canada. Canada is like the breadbasket of the world. We can feed millions of hundreds of millions of people we don't even come close to eating all the food we produce so we're not used to the idea of a famine and even if there were a famine somewhere in manitoba like just one summer all the crops died and all your tomatoes died and all your rutabagas and beets die or whatever your pumpkins just the moldy or whatever it was uh, because of the miracle of long distance truckers they would just haul in some food from somewhere else and it would cost a bit more but we'd be fine thank you truckers by the way for doing that kind of stuff But they had a real famine, which meant that there just wasn't enough food for everybody. And what you did back then when there was a famine is that you went somewhere where there wasn't a famine to try to live and try to survive. And so Naomi went with her husband, whose name was Elimelech, and her two sons, Malon and Chilion, I think their names were. And they went from where they were living in Israel to a country called Moab. And while they were there, Elimelech died. And then her two sons got married and then her two sons died. That's rough. And so Naomi's pretty much done. And she says, I'm going back. And word came to them that the famine that was in Israel had stopped happening. And so she thought, well, I might as well go home then. And so she went home, and her two daughters-in-law we're going to go with her, but on the way, she, inc- she, she tries to get them to not come. And she says, I don't have anything for you. Why don't you just stay here, go back to your parents' house. Maybe you can get married again, but um, I don't have anything for you. And one of the daughters-in-laws, Orpah is her name, she says, okay, and she goes home. But one of the other daughters-in-laws says this. This is from verse 16 of chapter 1 says, but Ruth, this is her name, 
said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God shall be my God. And where you die, I will die, and, where I, and, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and far more. Also, if anything but death parts me from you. And the scripture says, When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So this is the situation so far. Naomi has left her home, gone to a foreign country, buried her, her husband, and then buried her two sons, and is now heading back home with, she thinks, pretty much nothing. What state do you think her heart might be in? What state would your heart be in? Well, we don't have to wonder because Naomi like a good Middle Eastern person, doesn't bottle any of her emotions or her thoughts, and she lets us know exactly how she feels. A few verses earlier, when she was trying to get Ruth to, to not come with her, she says this, No, my daughter, this is verse 13, It is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And again, when they finally get to Bethlehem, this is what the scripture says. It says, So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem, which is Naomi's hometown. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? Now, Naomi's name means pleasant. So they see this lady who looks really familiar, except she looks a lot more ragged and has a lot more wrinkles and probably stooped shoulders and just eyes tarnished from weeping. Is this Naomi? What in the world happened to her? In verse 20, she says, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. And Mara is the Hebrew word for bitter. She says, Don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me? And the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. This morning I want to talk to you about uh, bitterness, being embittered. Have you ever been embittered before? It's pretty understandable from just a human perspective how Naomi would feel. Literally she feels like God hates her. And she's angry. She's wounded. She's wounded by life, wounded by disappointments, wounded with grief, and she keeps going around and telling people, don't say, don't say anything nice about me. God hates me. Just call me bitter, because I'm bitter. Because obviously, if you look at circumstances, God is obviously against me. And so that's just, yeah, that's where I'm at, and I don't want to hear anything else. Can we just sympathize with Naomi's bitterness? Um, Naomi's experiencing a bitterness that can just come from grieving. Like, it is hard to lose a spouse. I, I haven't, but that would be so hard. But then to also lose both of her sons in this same journey is, for some people, insurmountable pain. She's just wounded. And the grief that she was going through 
is in the context of having had huge expectations. And I want us to kind of understand this because the Bible doesn't hit us over the head with what their expectations most likely were when they left Israel to go to Moab. But we should understand kind of what their context is. And this is what I mean. Elimelech and Naomi were Israelites. So their identity was, we are children of Abraham. And we carry the faith of Abraham, and our God is the God of Abraham. And if you remember from Genesis, Abraham's story, you go back there, whenever Abraham had a famine that he was stuck in, what would happen was that he would leave wherever he was, and he would go somewhere, wherever it was, and one thing would lead to another, and all of a sudden, Abraham would be exceedingly rich because God was with him. Remember one time somebody stole his wife and he still ended up with all these cows and golden servants and then they kicked him out with all of their wealth. And you can go into Genesis, you, you can read the story. This happened a couple of times where all of a sudden there's no food and Abraham says, okay, I'm going to go looking for food. And one thing leads to another and he's totally loaded and covered in gold and all these servants carrying all this stuff and he comes back to where he was supposed to be rich. That happened a couple of times. It happened also with Isaac as well. And the biggest one ever was be when the Israelites were in Egypt and they left the promised land because of a famine during the days of Joseph, if you remember. And some bad stuff happened there. They ended up in slavery. But when they left, they ended up pillaging the Egyptians. And the Egyptians were just like throwing their gold on the Israelites and said, get out of here. Just take our stuff and leave. This is their theology. This is how they understand God to be like. This is how it works. You have a famine in the promised land. You go somewhere else. God throws gold and cattle and servants at you. And then you come home low dead. But what was the first thing that happened when they left and went to Moab? Well, first her husband dies. And I think this just totally changed the plan. I think they're expecting to go to Moab and be there for a couple of years. before. And then when the money started coming in, then they just, you know, the and then they head off to Israel and maybe do some shopping. But the first thing that happened was that Elimelech dies. Okay, change of plans. We're not here for a short stay. Something else is going on. The scripture says they're there for 10 years. And so what I think happened, they decided all of a sudden, okay, so dad's gone. That means you guys are the men of the house now, Malon, Chilion. We've got to start working on the next generation thing. And so they start, they, they make a plan to marry these boys off to some young ladies. But this is disappointment central as well because these young ladies are Moabites instead of Israelites. So the desire, you know, you're supposed to be marrying within your clans. They were supposed to have some nice Israelite young gals with a twinkle in their eye and birthing hips or whatever it is because they really liked kids back then, like really, really, really. And so the point, they should have been looking for some Israelite young ladies, but they're stuck in a foreign country and it's a famine. And so I kind of imagine, I don't know if this is true, that they, they kind of pooled together the last of their cash for the bride price for these marriages because they were really expensive and they bought themselves some Moabite ladies to be daughters. And even though they... I'm, I'm guessing they got married earlier on in the 10 years. Year after year went by and no kids. And no kids. And no next generation. And no kids. And then... One son dies, and no kids, and then another son dies, and no kids. And Naomi is just toast. Because we know when she finally gets back to Israel, they're so dirt poor that Ruth has to go gleaning, which means that she goes and picks up the harvest that the harvesters missed. So by this time in her life, 
She's got lost her husband, lost a son, lost a second son, stuck with these girls that probably weren't her first choice and has no cash. And she's like, the only choice we have is to go back and maybe something will happen there back in Bethlehem. But she's just devastated. And on top of all of this, trying to go back to Israel, I don't even know if Naomi, you know, she says in the scriptures that she's, she says to the girls, look, I, I can't have another baby who will grow up to be your husband. Why would you still want to live with me? Why don't you try to go find a husband somewhere else? Because in their day, that's what you did. If somebody, um, if a married couple, if the husband dies, usually one of the other um, relatives would take the task of providing for that woman a child so that the lineage can continue through them, which to us seems really strange, but back then it made a lot of sense. And just because we're 21st century Canadians doesn't mean that we're smarter than everybody, and so let's not judge and let's just roll with what really worked for them back then. Amen? Amen. Okay, but that was how it was supposed to go. And so she's trying to get rid of them. But I also wonder if there's something kind of like, I don't want to show back up in my hometown for the 25th high school anniversary reunion with nothing to show for my life but a Moabite. Because do you remember the story of the Moabites? Okay, this is how it worked. If you were an Israelite, that meant your dad was Israel or Jacob. And your grandpa and his dad was Abraham, the man of faith. But if you were a Moabite, Moab's dad was Lot. And his grandpa was also Lot. Have you figured that one out yet? Moab, his dad was a guy named Lot. And his grandpa was the same guy. Do you remember this story yet? Lot runs away from Sodom during the destruction. They're scared, so they hide in a cave. The girls feel like we'll never get married, but we want to have kids, so they get their dad drunk and have babies with their dad. And one kid's name is Ammon, which means from my people, and the other one's name is Moab, which means from my father. Moab means from my dad because he was born from her own dad. Not a triumph of faith for Naomi to come home with nothing but a Moabite. Naomi is about as devastated as you could get and still be breathing. And so she's bitter. And she thinks that God hates her. And she thinks the world is cruel. And she thinks that life sucks. And if it weren't for the fact that you're not allowed to kill yourself, she probably would have done it. She's just going to go home to grow old and die, essentially. That's her life expectation. I'm going to go back to Bethlehem because they've got some food there. And I'm just going to get old and I'm going to die. And God hates me. One of my goals at Calvary Chapel is that we would be a real church. Like with real people talking about real issues and having a real relationship with a real God. You may have heard that before. And that's one of the reasons why I like Naomi. Because she's not throwing on her church face. You ever seen someone put on a church face before? The other person, they've been run over in the parking lot and mugged. And, you know, and, and they're just like bleeding all over the place. How you doing? Fine. So good. Great to see you. Happy, 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 happy. And we do that, right? We lie to each other about how we're doing sometimes. And I know it's not always appropriate to fall apart on a Sunday morning. But Naomi's not a faker. She comes home, how are you doing, Naomi? She's like, everything's terrible. 
are you? And she's just not faking it. So I like that about Naomi, okay? I'm grateful about it. She is bitter, and so when people say, what happened to you? She says, as far as I can tell, God totally hates me, and I'm bitter. Thanks for asking. This is my daughter-in-law, Ruth. That's her homecoming. But I do like that about her. Changing subjects. The big question for me reading this story is this. Can God love a bitter person? Because that is where Naomi's at. It's not like underneath her hurt there's a smiley happy person with lots of faith. At the core of her being, she hates life and thinks God hates her. Here's the question. Can God love a bitter person? And can God be faithful to somebody who thinks that he hates them? And the answer is yes. That's the answer. The answer is yes. And I want to show you from Scripture so you don't just think I get paid to lie to people, okay? Because sometimes people think that about pastors, that we we take a tithe and tell people things that aren't true so that they feel better about themselves. We're almost drug dealers, but legal. (laughs) Just no, 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 no. The Scriptures are the Holy Scriptures. This really is God's Word. And I just want to show you something here. The reason I think that we can answer the question that people who are bitter because of what has happened in life, they can be loved by the living God is because of Ruth and who she is. And I have two reasons for saying this that I want us to help get. If you go to the end of the book, excuse me, um, If you know this story, you remember Ruth goes out and she's gleaning in the fields to get a little food together for her mother-in-law so that they can at least live. And just by coincidence, though there's no such thing, she happens into the field of Boaz who really likes Ruth and knows that she's got noble character because she's taking care of Naomi, who's one of Boaz's relatives, because technically they're all related, but sometimes they're related closer than other times. It's kind of like Steinbeck, like... I was, we were at the SCU, the old SCU building the other day, and they, they have this poster, like, tribute to our founders, and half of them were rhymers. And I was like, that does not happen everywhere in the world, where it's like, rhymer, 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 penner, 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 freezing, freezing, and then some other person who probably didn't belong there. Anyhow. <laughs> Boaz loves Ruth's character. Naomi says to Ruth, Boaz can redeem us and rescue us and give us a hope and a future. Why don't you go meet him in the middle of the night, be totally honorable, but see if he'll do something. Boaz says, I am going to do my best to redeem you. He goes and works the deal financially and they get married. And then so this is in the last chapter, in chapter 4, and I'm going to just start in verse 13. It says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. 
Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the woman of the neighbor, the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi, and they named him Obed, which means servant or worshiper. And he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Okay, so these are my two reasons of thinking that when Ruth is holding on to Naomi and just won't let go of her, that this is the character and hand of God in action is number one, these women who just describe Ruth as someone who has loved Naomi. Okay, just so you know, just so I know, we're all in agreement here. When you're stuck in bitterness, you're not a naturally lovable person. Have you ever noticed that before? When you're stuck in anger, when you're stuck in hurt, it's not like people like are running up to you to get counsel from you and stuff like that. It can be kind of uncomfortable to be around. It's not like, you know, everybody knows those happy people that are happy all the time that you just want to tie a rock around their neck and go fishing and oops. You know, you, everybody knows those happy all the time people. But when you're stuck in bitterness, it doesn't necessarily just cause people to want to be with you all the time. If we put it like that. But here's this Ruth, this woman out of nowhere, who's just saying to Naomi, I am never, ever going to leave you. The only thing that's going to separate us is one of us dying. And even there, they're going to bury me beside you. And the women of the town see this and they are shouting when the baby comes, blessed be this woman, Ruth, your daughter-in-law who has loved you and is more valuable to you than seven sons. This foreigner, this Moabite, this this." This person who you probably, you tried to get rid of, they've loved you. Okay, that's reason number one, is that Naomi was actually loved in history by this beautiful lady named Ruth. That's how I know God loved her, because if God wanted to, he could have just let Ruth decide, okay, you're on your own, I'll figure things out from here. And the second thing is this. The last part I read there, it says, Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David, and One of the reasons we have Ruth in the Bible is to explain where King David came from. What kind of spiritual and faith heritage David had. And David was the greatest king of Israel. And he also had a very, 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 very special great, 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 grandson named Jesus. I'm going to wrap this all up together and put a bow on it. The reason we have the story of Ruth in the Bible is because Ruth has the character of Christ. And God wanted her to be in the physical lineage of Jesus Christ. When we see him face to face, and if we get the privilege of bowing down before Jesus and kissing his toes, a little bit of the DNA of those toes will belong to Ruth. And so what I'm saying here is in this story, when Naomi is at her bitterest, and Ruth is being unappreciated, and Ruth is not having her own grief at losing her husband cared for, but she is showing love to Naomi. This is the very love of God for Naomi. Incarnate. Coming from an unexpected place. Because Ruth loved Naomi, I know that the God of heaven can love a bitter, angry person, which is great news because it means that God can also love an out-of-control person. God can also love an impure person. God can also love a dishonest person. God can also love a worn-out person. God can love anybody because he really loved Naomi when Naomi was at her bitterest.
one of the phrases that can be said, which can also have the least amount of effect compared to what it should have in someone's life, is the sentence, God really loves you. And having done this for a little bit, I know I can stand up here and say, you aren't any different than Naomi. And at your very worst, God really loves you. And it can kind of go, and just bounce right off. And so I'm just really praying this, this morning, for the few more minutes while it is this morning, that just with the help of God, you would hear and see God really loves messed up people. Just like Ruth clung to Naomi. And the only thing we can do to mess this up this morning is to not let Christ cling to us. And to say to him, no, go away. No, just keep going away. Because Christ is here through the Holy Spirit. And he says, just like Naomi said to Naomi, to, uh, sorry, Ruth said to Naomi, if you have me, I will be yours forever. And your people will be my people. And my father will be your father. And your life will be my life. And your pains will be my pains. And I will be with you to the day of your death. And I will, wait, it's Jesus. So he doesn't die. When you die, you go to be with him. And that's when the fun really starts. And we can come up with all kinds of excuses. Maybe it's not bitterness because of something that happened to us. Maybe it's not anger at somebody who really wounded us. Maybe it's just an event. Maybe it's unbelief. Maybe it's frustration. I don't know what it is. But God said the ultimate thing that keeps us from him is actually our sin. Which comes from our heart and comes out of our mouth or comes out of our hands. We have this condition where we don't want God. Just like Naomi was saying, go away, Ruth. Go away. Go away. But God, being rich in mercy, being full of love, he actually overcomes that by coming to us through Jesus who died for our sins so that we can be totally forgiven of everything we've ever done and everything we ever will do as we walk with Christ. And he puts a new spirit inside of us. He actually changes us from the inside out so that this unbelievable truth that God wants us and loves us and is prepared to delight in us and take us as his children and live with us forever and prepare an eternity of joy to be with us, that we can actually believe that this is true by having the Holy Spirit come inside of us and say, stop lying to yourself and stop telling God that he's bogus. It's real. It's the best. And so if, if you come away with anything this morning, just come away knowing that wherever you're at, if you don't throw Jesus away, he wants to be with you. And if you don't harden your heart against him, he is there with you. And the best thing you can do is to say, yes. I want to just end quickly by talking about the bitterness thing because sometimes we do get trapped in it bitterness you know a hurt a wound an insult that turns into a long-term anger which turns into a frustration which just controls your life god loves people who are bitter and he loves people who are angry and he loves people who are out of control and impure and liars and all that stuff people who are faking it at church whatever it is oops okay stop talking about that one 
He really loves us, but he loves us way too much to leave us like that, right? Amen, church? He really loves us, and he loves us way too much to leave us like that. He loved Naomi way too much to leave her like that. And so he's like, and you know, we just know that by the time Naomi got back to Bethlehem, she was totally just done with life. And you know it from this little detail, because when they get back home to Bethlehem, all of a sudden Ruth's going, maybe I should go out there and get some food for us. Which really isn't Ruth's job to decide what to do when she's tagging along with her mother-in-law. So Naomi's like just in bed, essentially, just like doing nothing. Just leave me alone, and this is where I want to be buried. And Ruth's like, maybe I should go work. And God provides Ruth just by accident the right place to go and provides Ruth just by accident a guy who really thinks highly of her, who just happens to be the relative and just all works out like this. And then all of a sudden, Naomi's hope begins to grow. And that hope really is the opposite of bitterness. When you're stuck in bitterness, you just can't see that anything good's going to come down the line and anything that's happening is probably just an ambush. You know, you go to the grocery store and you assume that every pineapple there is actually a pineapple grenade and it's going to explode. Like, every jug of milk has probably gone bad or poisoned. And so God starts to build her hope again. And she starts to get all her plans and start telling Ruth what to do. And so I just want to end by saying the scripture does call us if we think that God hates us and he's against us, if we do think that life is just one big um, torture session and everything goes from worse, from bad to worse, God does call us to put away that bitterness. In Ephesians 4.13 it says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. That's God's call. And so there are ways that we can work on this, okay? So the first thing I want to say about this is that if you struggle with this stuff, and maybe you don't realize you do, but maybe the people around you realize you do, the first thing we need to know is there is a profound lie about God in your head. If you're stuck in bitterness, there is a profound lie about the nature of God inside your head. It doesn't feel like a lie. It feels like the truth. It doesn't feel like a lie. It feels like experience, the voice of experience. It feels like having a sober view of reality or being a realist. It isn't true. Because when Naomi was coming into town with nothing but Ruth and saying, God is against me. God has stretched out his hand against me. God set himself to destroy me. She didn't see what the reality was. And the reality was is that God sent Naomi into Moab to take out of Moab the greatest treasure in the world at that time, which was Ruth. That woman was the greatest treasure in that entire country. And he, God wanted her so bad that the price was Naomi going and Naomi losing and then coming back so that Ruth could meet Boaz and be Jesus' great-great-great-great-great-grandma. That's the reality about God's nature. God wanted Naomi to be in the Bible. But Naomi's standing there going, God hates me. And God's saying, I am honoring you in ways you could never believe right now. You're going to be in the Bible, and your grandson is going to be David's grandpa and Jesus' ancestor. And she's like, God hates me. So that's why I'm saying when we're stuck in bitterness, we believe a profound lie about the nature and intention of God towards us. And so you just, we just need to know that in a minute. Ask God, God, would you expose it? I don't want to live like this anymore. Part of how we can do this, number two, is just to see the hand of kindness that God has towards us in our life. 
um, I believe God's in control of everything, so I, I, I believe that every single little kindness that we get from God is from him, no matter who it comes from. You know, it's a sunny day on your birthday. That is God. Someone buys you um, a 10-pack of Timbits after the service while you're just standing around talking with people because Tim Hortons is just down the road. <laughs> that is the hand of God. Ruth's kindness to Naomi was the hand of God. And if you look around, you'll see that people have been faithful to you and people have loved you and people have been kind to you and God has been there for you in ways that maybe you can miss if you're just concentrating on the hurt right now. Why don't you look for the kindness of God and the hand of God and kindness of those around you? I want to encourage you to read over Romans 5 a few times and just know that God has put the Holy Spirit in you to to know his hope. And let me just bring up a couple of things, and I am wrapping this up, and I promise, and thank you for enduring the heat. Here inside Calvary Chapel, it's still summer. Help me out. Come on, somebody. It's not fall yet. It is still July 15th, and we're all at the beach. We've got the water right here to prove it. As we are ongoing, because some of us here this morning, I don't know everyone's story, but some of us really do have painful painful stories that aren't worth making light of even a little bit. We're suffering. Uh, But there is a way to go through suffering with hope and a way that you will know God better and grow stronger through it. And last week we shared this, and I will share it again. And The first way to do this is to surrender to Jesus. If you're hurting, if things are weird, if things are out of control, just turn to Jesus in prayer and say, Jesus, I surrender to you. I don't like my circumstances, but you're in charge of them. I don't care for my circumstances, but you're working in it. This hurts right now, but you are God, so I surrender to you. This is the first step, and that's often the hardest part. Naomi was not surrendered to God when she was going around telling everybody that God was out to get her. <laughs> and I totally believe in your goodness and grace. Amen. Not, it doesn't line up. So in our hearts, we start, we just say, I surrender to you, Jesus. I surrender to you. I'm not in control, but you are in control, so I surrender. Number two, we just invite the Holy Spirit in. I loved that one of the young people who were, was baptized today, that I'm not going to use his name because he's going on the internet and I don't have permission from the parents, um, talked about how part of his journey here was that the Holy Spirit talked to him. And did you know that if you believe in Jesus, you have every right to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to hear the voice of God and to be led by the Spirit of God. That's why Pentecost happened. And so when we're hurting, when we're suffering, when we're tempted or stuck in bitterness, you just say, Holy Spirit, come afresh. Change me from the inside out. You are love. I don't have love. You are joy. Joy is the farthest thing from my mind. You are peace. I don't feel peace. Would you come afresh and do something supernatural in me? I surrender to you, Jesus. Fill me afresh with the Holy Spirit. It really is the right of every child of God. If you're a Christian, if God is your dad, it's your right to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to walk in the Spirit and to have gifts from the Spirit and to be growing in the fruit of the Spirit. That's what makes us his children, is that we have his Spirit inside of us. And lastly, and just to wrap up, hold on to a promise from Scripture. I will turn to Romans chapter 5 here, and I'll just conclude by reading this. If you'll bear with me. Sometimes the only thing standing between us and relational destruction is experiencing the power of a promise from Scripture coming into our lives. 
Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And through him, we have also obtained access through faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. It is possible. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, was Naomi weak? She, she was weak to the point of death. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, or perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more will we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by his death, by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Maybe the band would like to come up and prepare just to lead us. So guys, I'm really grateful for your time. I know it's warm in here. I'm, I'm grateful for your ears and your attention. And I just really want to invite you in the name of Jesus, wherever you're at, just to come to Jesus this morning. Come to the Father. We've noticed at Calvary Chapel it's been a time where, where people's, some, some people who have had character issues that haven't been worked on for a while, all of a sudden it's just not working anymore. It's hard times. It's hard times for all of us. But in the midst of the pain, God is getting deeper into people's lives than he's ever gone before. He has a great intention in every single kind of suffering. So I'm going to invite us to stand, and I'm going to pray, and I just want to invite you to give yourself to Jesus, to welcome his spirit, to trust in his promises.